Don't Believe Everything You Think, Byron Katie. My guest today is going to share with you why you really need to start questioning what you believe about your health at midlife, about your weight and your energy, and questioning the genetic determinism that you were probably taught growing up, that your health is related to your genes, and questioning the wisdom that to lose weight, you should eat less and exercise more. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my guest today, Dr. Sam Shea, and then we'll get started. She used to deliver babies, but now she delivers exceptional wellness for women. Welcome to her Brilliant Health Radio, where holistic women's health expert and board-certified OBGYN, Dr. Kieran Dunstan, shares revolutionary insight from leading experts on what you need to know today to treat the root cause of disease, heal, and create the radiant health you've been searching for. Lean in and get ready to experience the bountiful, blissful, and beautiful vitality that you deserve. Welcome, everyone, back to another episode of Her Brilliant Health Revolution. Excited to dive into our topic today. We are talking about your genetic code and weight loss, two of my favorite topics. And our expert today is trained in chiropractic, functional, and acupuncture medicine. His name is Dr. Sam Shea, and he helps people to determine their unique genetic code for successful weight loss. His new book, You're Missing Genes, the revolutionary method to find your ideal diet, balanced weight, and help stop the clock on the effects of aging, details the three different ways to successfully lose weight based on your genetics. Welcome, Dr. Sam Shea. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. I really enjoy sharing this really exciting new field of genetics, particularly as it relates to weight loss. Yes, it's so vital, and it's something that I'm starting to introduce into my programs with women where we're actually looking at their genetics and helping it that information determine and inform the choices that they make. So there's so much out there about diet, and people go this way and that, and intermittent mm -hmm. fasting is all the rage, and then I yeah, see yeah. a lot of people who can't lose weight with intermittent fasting. So how did this become a focus of the work that you do? My focus in that Natural health and functional medicine and genetics started actually when I was six years old, when my parents had a really nuclear divorce, where me and my three sisters were caught in the blast radius. And it was, it was a truly awful experience for all parties. And that started a 12-year period from 6 to 18, where I was extremely unwell, but not anything that was acutely diagnosable from Western medical standards. So I had a combination of severe crippling insomnia, really bad digestive problems, chronic pain, high anxiety, depression. I had sugar addiction, video game addiction, which these two things weren't even considered at the in that time back in the 80s. A lot of problems at school, including uh, physical abuse as well as emotional abuse and isolation, humiliation, and none of the adults in the room anywhere were doing anything to stop it, even if things were happening in plain sight. And so what happened was this decade plus decline. And I made a decision as a late teenager that I have to take charge of my health my own way because the Western medical model for me, for what I had, wasn't working. And both my parents were medical doctors and they didn't, their solution was 
you're depressed, take some drugs and stop being so annoying and complaining about how you're so sad and uncomfortable and can't sleep. And I, just so everyone listening, my relationship with, I've since healed my relationship with my mother and making very meaningful progress with my father as well. And now that they made very, very bad decisions on my behalf, that was, we reconciled. And so they have reconciled also. And I'm happy to say I was instrumental in them healing their relationship. They never got remarried, but they're now real friends now where they actually visit each other. And um, it's the, the family's kind of unified again in that respect. So I just bring up the uncomfortable past because it sets the foundation for how I got to where I am now and why I help the people that I help. And the one of the primary people that I, uh, groups of people that I do help are moms and mompreneurs. And the reason for that is that my mother, when she became a single mom after the divorce, though my father paid child support, she was very, very stressed out, terrible diet and chronic pain, also bad insomnia, and was just making decisions based off of day-to-day survival and coping, not, again, by her own admission, not necessarily the best long-term interests of the care for me because she was just so busy trying to cope with having to raise four kids, even though she had child support. And my focus is on helping moms. One of my primary focuses is helping moms because if you help mom, you help the whole family, you help the kids. So this is my way of paying it forward instead of raising my tiny fist in anger to what happened. It's like, okay, how can I open my hand to solutions for the future? And genetics came through as a major interest of mine because my family doesn't have the best role when it comes to genetics and health. I mean, between the two generations behind me, there's cancer, there's heart disease, there's stroke, there's neurodegeneration, but no diabetes. Lucky me, I win. We've got major issues just even within the past two generations. And I've got interested in weight loss from working clinically with clients that struggled with weight. This is a very interesting phenomenon. The more they exercised, the fatter they got. The more they tried to lose weight, the more weight they put on. And you talk about demoralizing. Let's talk about that. And that led me down this rabbit hole of genetics where it didn't make sense from what I understood at the time. How is it someone that the more they exercise, the fatter they got? Then when I started analyzing genetics in a very specific way by looking at the clusters of genes that control inflammation, the clusters of genes that control hormonal detox, and the clusters of genes that control fat and energy metabolism, I realized that there were three separate ways people were genetically predisposed to gaining weight, but they required three separate ways to deal with the weight. So if someone was genetically an over-inflamer, they either they provoked way too much, they over-initiated, over-propagate, over-sustained inflammation, or couldn't clear it properly, what happened is that they would retain all this water from all the inflammation, and that's what made them swell. So when they exercised, they would hit their tipping point where suddenly exercise became net pro-inflammatory, Therefore, the body would retain water to, in order to do what? To dilute the, to the inflammatory chemicals to buy the liver and kidneys time to filter them out. 
Right. So I want to just highlight a few things that you've talked about because there's been a lot of good stuff in there. I'm sorry about what happened to you when you were younger. I'm very grateful that you have done the work to evolve past that. And I, I want to highlight that because one of the things that I help women to understand, because they're not learning it from their regular doctors, is mm-hmm. that their biography does become their biology. Mm-hmm. And that these things, big T traumas, little T traumas that happened to them when they were children are affecting their health today. In fact, there's some experts like Dr. Gabor Mate, who, who yeah, say- he's a hero that, of mine. Yeah. <laughs> right. That all illness comes from childhood trauma. And probably 97% or so of us have some type of relational trauma as children, and it affects our health as adults. And I think that your story really highlights that. So I wanted to point that out because I want people listening to really hear what you're saying. And you've done the work to kind of move past this. And it really sparked your interest in genetics and weight loss and helping women. So your pain has become your purpose, which is true for so many of us. So let's back up a little bit and just outline the problem, which a lot of women listening probably are already painfully aware, but I love how you said the more they exercised, the fatter they got. And I know that there are women listening and it's my story too. I would exercise more and eat less. So cut calories and and have a greater expenditure of calories. And I might have some short-term success, but in the long run, I kept gaining and gaining and gaining. So are you saying that that is purely a genetic problem or are there other issues going into cause that as well? Everything about genetics, nothing, sorry, not, not nothing, but it's very rare there is a pure genetic issue. It's a genetic predisposition plus a lifestyle to to expose that predisposition. So everyone can have genetic predispositions to all sorts of terrible things. But unless there is a lifestyle event by an act of omission or commission or that you were subjected to willingly or unwillingly, that genetic predisposition won't manifest. So I'll give you another example of how people can know that they have a real likelihood of the signs of inflammatory weight gain, inflammatory predisposition. I'm sure many of your listeners have had this experience. If they eat a tiny little muffin and then they gain three pounds in one day, in one 24-hour period. Now, unless that muffin was last year's re-gifted Christmas fruitcake, it didn't weigh three pounds, right? So... But what happened was that you you ate the tiny little muffin and it was either the gluten in the muffin or the sugar or the preservatives or the, the dough conditioners or whatever other things. It triggered an inflammatory response to which then the body dilutes the toxic inflammatory chemicals because inflammation can kill cells and tissues. It will The body will then retain water, as I said before, to buy the liver and kidneys time to filter out the toxic chemicals. And so if you have that genetic predisposition to overinflammation, that's the response. Now, for me, when I have infl- I grew up with terrible diet. I mean, it was it was awful. I mean, it was like a candy and pastas and no fat, milk, nothing organic was not even a word in the house. Yeah. This is like both my parents, medical doctors in the 80s, like they're, and they're both psychiatrists. I mean, again, we can, the ironies are multi-layers thick, including 
My father is actually a very famous psychiatrist. He's, he's a world expert on PTSD and moral injury. He's actually written two books on that and got a MacArthur Genius Award. He defined the term moral injury, which is salient to what you talked about before. Your biography becomes your biology. Moral injury is defined as the betrayal of what's right in a high-stakes situation by someone in authority. It's different than PTSD. They happen together, but the fundamental element a mental difference is moral injury is about betrayal. And then when you have a loss, when you've been betrayed, there's a loss of trust. And then when there's a loss of trust, there's a vacuum there that's filled with the anticipation, expectation of harm, humiliation, and exploitation. And I know and this is kind of an operational definition of paranoia, but it certainly was my experience. And the irony, there's many layers thick, is that I experienced acute levels of PTSD and moral injury growing up in a emotionally, physically violent school environment where the adults were saying that they were creating an environment one way, but were literally turning a blind eye to what the reality was. And they were kind of all in, their, in the mind and weren't paying attention to the biology. And when I had inflammatory food, I never gained weight. My inflammation and I, my genetics show a massive amount of overinflammation. So my overinflammation did not manifest as swelling with water weight. It, what happened is that it all went into my brain and my joints and my organs. So I would develop these weird pain syndromes in my joints and I'm in my like 20s and I'm having like achy old joints like I'm an old man. And if I eat foods that are inflammatory, I get really moody really, really quickly and like jittery and just get pale and kind of sickly. But I would never get fat. It would affect me in different ways. The pain, the inflammation would affect me in different ways than simply gaining weight. But the resolution, when I looked at my diet, when I looked at my genetics and I saw just how pro-inflammatory my genetics were, when I shifted everything according to what my genetics showed, because I was so pro-inflammatory and I shifted accordingly, my joint pain went away, you know, whereas other people, their weight normalizes or their hormones normalize or whatever. For me, it was pain. But it, that's how we can have this kind of meta set of inflammatory genes. When we look at them, people can manifest them in different ways weight for some people, pain for others, cognitive or, or emotional misfiring in other places. So for people who are concerned about weight, there are other signs to also look for if you are prone to overinflammation. So whether it's a rapid mood change, joint pain, or something similar. Okay. So let's define the three types of weight gain based on genetics. Number one, I guess, would be the inflammatory predisposition. What are the other two? There's inflammatory water weight, where you retain water when you're under inflammation. Number two is hormonal toxic weight. So the hormonal toxic weight, that has to do with your, one, your exposure to external toxins or, or xenoestrogens, whether they're in heated plastics or the residues of birth control pills and municipal water supply and an unfiltered water source, certain pesticides, insecticides. There's many different makeups, body lotions, antibiotic creams, et cetera. There's certain hormones that are found in certain types of meats that are inorganic. There's many sources of external toxins and external hormones or hormone mimickers. Now, if 
you have the exposure, that's one thing. But if genetically you don't have good clearance of these hormones, like your the phase one, your phase one or phase two liver genes, phase one is overactive and it's driving these xenohormones into phase two too rapidly. So phase one is like the washer, phase two is the dryer. So if you have dirty clothes and you throw them in the washer, but you never dry them, then the clothes get moldy and gross and it's worse than if you have never washed them at all. So that's, so, but the thing is, is in order to get rid of whatever stains or whatever was on the shirt, you need to wash them first before you dry them. So the body's the same way. You get a toxin, you've got to like put it through a first step process to make it highly reactive so that it goes into phase two where a sulfur compound or something else will neuter that toxic chemical in the phase two in the dryer phase so the problems come is that if you have if you have broken dryers or your drivers are or dryers are overwhelmed then you're going to get this stinky molded mess of all the toxins that come in and that's what is proposed to be a major mechanism of multiple chemical sensitivity is that you have an overactive washer system and an underactive dryer system so i that's the best analogy I've heard. I've heard that from Dr. Kalish. It's the best analogy I heard of a phase one and phase two. And I would so agree. It, I just okay. want to highlight how good that is. That's the best analogy I've ever heard. And exactly what you're describing, there are probably some people who are perking up right now because they're going mm -hmm. multiple chemical sensitivity. What yeah. did you say? Because they're not getting the help that they need from mainstream. And so really, the, I love a functional approach because it really is looking at these two different enzymes. So number one, inflammatory water weight. So there are certain set of genes that will predispose you to that. Number two has to do with your detoxification enzymes in your Correct. liver. And what would number three be? Number three is just caloric fat weight. The things that everyone thinks weight loss and weight gain is about, which is calories, which is actually the least common cause that I see of people gaining weight today. It is the least common. The most common is the inflammatory. Second most common is a combination of inflammatory and hormonal. Third most common is hormonal. Least common is caloric. Just to kind of put a fine point on it is that, I mean, I've lectured at uh, specific genetics conferences about this issue and the inflammatory versus hormonal and caloric. And one, I did some case studies on, in men, it was, hang with me here, man boobs and, the female equivalent was women who overexercised whose cycles went off and gained weight. So I, it's not like I have some bizarre obsession with man boobs. It's just I'm a clinician. It's my job to be observant. Uh, these two gentlemen who were very large and they were overweight and the more they exercised, the fatter they got, the more joint paint they were in and they both also had man boobs. And then when I, and I looked at and I thought about, I wonder if their genetics are showing a combination of inflammatory water weight and hormonal toxic weight. So what happened when I ran and when I ran their genetics, sure enough, they both had really bad inflammatory water weight predisposition and hormonal toxic weight where they couldn't get rid of estrogen properly, but their caloric fat weight was near perfect. So what happened was that the more they exercised, the more inflammation they developed, which clogged up their liver and which means they couldn't get rid of all the toxic estrogen that they were exposed to. Now, if even without any medical background, everyone listening would probably agree, what's worse, acute inflammation chemicals or some hormones? Acute inflammation, like you gotta get, the liver will prioritize getting rid of the inflammation and not the hormones. So what happened is that they got inflammatory weight 
And so the estrogens were circulating. And so the estrogens reposition and deposit the weight in specific places, like on the chest for men. And then for women, another case study where she'd same thing. She, she started some insane, without telling me first, she started some insane CrossFit trainer that just had her exercising, overexercising every day. And she got, was losing muscle tone, was swelling up and her cycles went off, which is, you can see it's the exact same pattern. She got over inflamed, her liver got overwhelmed and couldn't properly regulate her hormones. But instead of the weight going to her chest, it just affected her monthly cycle. So it was the same, it was a combination of inflammatory and hormonal toxic weight. So once we had the genetics and I was able to figure out what are the precise lifestyle recommendations for them to do to drop the inflammation and to support their liver detox genes and identify and remove the external triggers of inflammation and estrogen input. Mm -hmm. Their weight normalized, their muscle tone came back, pain went down in the men's case, the man boobs went away and her cycle normalized. So this is how the three can actually, it's not always one of the three, it can be a combination. Yeah, I think that that's so important to realize. And I love how you talked about the body prioritizing because I always teach that the yeah. body is a system, just I call it a city really. And it has different neighborhoods and different departments that mm -hmm. do different things. And it has an economy, just like you have your personal monetary economy, your body has an economy. And you talked about how the liver has to prioritize what it gets rid of and acute inflammation chemicals it has to take care of right away. It's not oh. going to kill you right away. Where hormones often get to that back burner where, yeah, I'll take care of it. And this is where men and women get that those toxic levels of estrogen. And I think that it's so important for people to have this conceptual framework of what is health really? What is your body doing really? I think that because we don't have any formal education about our bodies and health in grade school or as we're educated, and we really are taught to abdicate control of our bodies to doctors who have a certain paradigm of health that is symptom management and not actually the creation of vitality. It's just symptom suppression. I really love what you said, what you're highlighting is about the economy of the body and also how you're highlighting that it's not just one thing. Every woman I talk to wants to know what's the one thing, what is the diet, what is the supplement, what is the pill, what is the one thing I need to do? And that was me, you know, over me 12 too. years ago, right? It was both of us yeah. until like Oprah says, when you know better, you do better. And now we know that it's not one thing. I have to remind the women in my, my programs all the time, they're like, I took this supplement. I did this, you know, HRV. Why isn't it better? Because you're not a machine, yeah. right? You yeah, are not absolutely. the toaster that got its dial adjusted by the electrician. You are an animal. You're a yep. living biologic being with feelings and thoughts and all of this affects your health. So I just want to highlight that for everybody listening so that they can be dispelled of their fantasy of the one thing myth because it doesn't exist. So let's get practical. I know people listening are going, okay, I hear what you're saying, Dr. Sam, and this makes total sense. I get it. 
I want to have my genetics checked. And they go running to their doctor and they say, I heard Dr. Sam on Dr. Kieran's podcast. And he talked about these three different types of genetic weight gain difficulties. And I want my genetics checked. What's most likely going to happen and how? what's a, the best way for them to handle this and get their needs met? There's every clinician responds based on their lens of their personal history, life trajectory, their training, and what they know how to do and are allowed to do. And so if you go to a regular general practitioner, they, when they hear genetics, they're trained. Western medicine was, was predicated on military medicine, triage, where the symptom was the problem. If you're in war, there's no such thing as missing arm disease or bleeding eye syndrome. That, that doesn't make any sense. These are emergencies that need stabilization. The problem is when that stabilization, emergency care, triage, wartime medical philosophy has been externalized and internalized to all conditions. And I think Western medicine is brilliant in the emergency room as a philosophy, assuming they get there in time and don't screw up. Functional medicine is different. Functional medicine is the best of Western medical diagnostics with the best of natural medicine, lifestyle interventions and nutrition. So if you go to a Western medicine practitioner who's purely within that lens, they're going to think of genetics from, you know, trisomy 21 and hardwired, clearly obvious genetic problems, or they're going to think of, wait, you want to know what percentage Irish you are? They're going to think of it from genealogy or from childhood genetic issues. This is not that. What we're talking about is looking at functional genetics, looking at the clusters of not the disease genes themselves. We're not looking for the cancer gene, the heart disease gene, the Alzheimer's gene, the diabetes gene, or the stroke gene. We're looking for the genes of inflammation, the genes of liver detox, the genes of vitamin D utilization, the genes of met, like the things that are the meta drivers that will then, if those are provoked, will then poke on the quote unquote disease genes. So you're not likely to get the type of testing that you were wanting from going to a general practitioner. Some people think, well, I have 23 in ancestry.com. It's like, well, how's that working for you? Because what you get from them is an unprioritized, overwhelmed, non-unique prioritized list of things to do. You just get a giant data dump. Maybe you can chuck it through an algorithm through your iPhone app, but it's not, it's going to be like 300 health tips with no prioritization. So the style of genetics analysis that I'm talking about, there's painfully few people trained in the States who know how to do this. I'm one of them. I trained in Australia for this. And if people are wanting to know more about these specific types of genetics tests that I'm talking about, including one that to genetically determine your optimal diet, are you a keto, paleo, Mediterranean, or high carb? You can actually genetically determine that. And no, there's nothing in 23andMe Ancestry that does that. If they're wanting to, if your listeners are wanting to know the next steps for that, they can go get my free ebook on genetics at my website, uh, drsamshay.com forward slash genetics, D-R-S-A-M-S-H-A-Y.com forward slash genetics. And they can learn all about it there. This type of analysis is not really known yet in America or, or other parts of the world, but it is available all around the world. It's just not many people know how to analyze it in this way. We'll be right back after this short message from our sponsor. 
Hey there, it's Dr. Kieran. I'm just wondering how long you're gonna go with those unbalanced hormones. I mean, you told me during the Stop the Menopause Madness Summit that you couldn't take it anymore. So where have you been? Since the summit, Deb M has already balanced her hormones, gotten to her goal weight, and is looking forward to wearing her bathing suit on the beach this summer. And Carrie, who hadn't been able to lose even five pounds in the past 10 years, has now lost an amazing 15 pounds and is feeling and looking great. Not to mention, she's sleeping better and her mood has improved. Aaron, Ashley, Debsy, and so many more are already enjoying the benefits of having balanced hormones. And I'm wondering if you could use some help finding out your personal hormone levels and knowing exactly what to do to balance your hormones so that you can lose weight, regain energy, balance your moods, feel sexy and confident, look great and master midlife or whatever you want to do. Know that all health begins with balanced hormones. Everything you want in life begins here and nothing good ever comes from tolerating hormone imbalances. We're launching the Hormone Balance Mastermind again this July, so don't wait. Space is limited, and it will be months before we run this program again. Go to www.midlifemetabolisminstitute.com to apply for the program or get on the early bird wait list so that as soon as registration opens, you can be the first to apply and secure your spot. If you've had enough and you want to find out how good life can be once your hormones are balanced, I know I'll see you there. Talk to you soon. And we're back. The data from the 23andMe can be quite overwhelming. Uh And we had Dr. Penny Kendall Reed on. She's in Canada and she actually created an algorithm where you put the information in and it spits out this kind of information on ideal diet. So I love that people like you and Dr. Penny are really creating ways for women to access this information and start knowing what kind of diet they should be following. What are some of the names of genes? So I love that you highlighted that they're probably not going to get the response that they want from their primary care physician. Same thing when I talk about checking hormone levels and women go running to their doctors and they're told we don't check women's hormones or they're give have their hormones checked in blood, which isn't accurate. And then they're told they're normal when they're not optimal and they don't understand mm-hmm. the difference. So same thing with these genes. So really needing to find a functional practitioner who can help guide them. What are the names of some of these genes that they might recognize? So there's 15 major inflammatory genes and, and the reason, and, and, and there, there's over 30,000 genes. And if you're wanting to prioritize what genes to look for, you have to look for the genes that control one of the seven major drivers of all disease. So the seven drivers are inflammation, liver detox, free radical scavenging, particularly in the mitochondria, vitamin D utilization, methylation, cardiovascular circulation, integrity, and then fat energy metabolism. So you got to look at these genes relate to these seven drivers. And you got to look at what the genes, which of them are the generals, the upstream ones that control the hundreds of genes underneath them. 
then you got to find of those remaining genes, which of them have at least 10% variation in the general population. Meaning if you run a genetics test, you're not looking for a gene that's 0.0000001% chance of having a variation. You're looking for something that's at least 10%. So you're likely to find it. And then lastly, and most importantly, you want to find genes that also have peer reviewed literature in top tier journals where they show in studies based on humans, not wombats or nematodes or whatever, that lifestyle, diet, nutrition alone can shift the expression of the genes to make a more beneficial way, the so-called term epigenetics, where lifestyle will change how a gene expresses. You won't, your genes will not change hardwiring unless you do something like CRISPR, but how they express, it's kind of like a, a dimmer switch up or down. So what you're wanting is to look for those genes. And of the 30,000 genes, there's not even 100 genes that fulfill those fill all four of those checkboxes. So if we want to talk about, for example, inflammation, there are certain clusters. I'll just mention some of the 15. So for example, you're looking at the interleukin-1s, which are uh, in combination with interleukin-6 and TNF-alpha, they're, they're looking at kind of the initiation of inflammation. If you're looking for the acute phase, the kind of propagation or oversustaining of inflammation, you're looking at the CRP genes or the COX genes, CRP being most famous for liver. And in fact, that's one of the, the clustering, CRP1, CRP2, and CRP3. I saw that as clusters in the clients that I was working with on the case studies that they, the more inflamed they got, the more their liver got overwhelmed, partly because their liver genes as it relates to dealing with inflammation were had bad variants in them or red and yellow dots or had bad versions of those genes. So their liver was already predisposed, predisposed to having their liver being overwhelmed and trying to deal with inflammation. And then lastly, the, the other major category of inflammatory genes are the interleukin 10s. So the, these are the parts, kinds of genes that are involved in extinguishing or clearing inflammation. Other really important genes to look for are the VDR genes or the vitamin D receptor genes. There's a lot of talk nowadays of the importance of vitamin D, which is very true, but getting vitamin D from sunlight, supplements, or food is only half the story. Actually getting them into the cells to do their magic to drop inflammation, regulate the immune system is the other half of the story. And that has to do with receptors or the docking sites on the surface of the cells to actually capture the vitamin D as it floats by the blood. There's many other genes, of course, but those would be the highlights in terms of inflammation. For free radical damage, you're looking at MNSOD, GPX1, uh, CAT. I mean, we can get as nerdy as yeah. we want. I mean, if you want, I mean, if we people, the, one of the, if you ever really get into the genetics, you're going to just do incredibly well at Scrabble, you know, once you, get to, <laughs> to learn all the poly polysyllabic words. Yeah, I think I just wanted you to dip into it a little to help people understand the complexity of what we're talking about. Yeah. And so when you jump into what I call the alphabet soup of it, I know a lot of people are going, uh, this is way over my head. It's, and it's, then it's more or less alphabet soup and more hexadecimal, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so then it becomes kind of unattainable to people. And, and I want them to get that. So I definitely want them to go to drdrsamshay.com forward slash genetics and download your book, which gives a lot more information. But when it comes to the genetics that we're talking about, 
probably your mainstream doctor is not going to be able to help you with this. You're going to need someone to help guide you through this. People like Dr. Sam, people like me who do this in their programs. And there are a few of us out there to help to guide you. It's not really something you can navigate. It's not necessarily a test you can go get your 23andMe and then know necessarily what the best thing to do is. What about, so I definitely encourage people to do that, but not everyone can actually afford to work with a specialist like you or me. And you mentioned epigenetics in there. And there are a lot of things that people can do, epi meaning on top of your genes. So your genes are only, I always say, 5 to 10% of determining your health. And it's whether you turn certain genes on or turn them off. So what are some general things that people can do if they aren't don't have the wherewithal to be tested or work with a specialist to help turn on their good inflammatory genes and turn off their bad inflammatory genes to turn on their good detox genes to turn off the bad ones what what kinds of things would you recommend i'll give a kind of a big picture generalized possibly self-referential answer and then i'll give a very some very specific recommendations so so the generalized big picture is that i have another ebook available for free on my website called Biohack Your Biohacking, A Common Sense Guide to Functional Medicine and Functional Testing. And in it, I cover what's called the 10 pillars of health. The 10 pillars of health of the 10, perhaps time for another, uh, time for another podcast, but they're the 10 major of health that I discovered clinically when working with severely unwell people. And then I realized that that same model worked for people who just wanted to stay normal, where they were, or people were aspirational entrepreneurs, biohackers, human potential folks, et cetera. And so the number one thing I can recommend to people is learn that 10 pillar model, because then you'll learn where do I need to focus? Because if I just give some random tip, it may not be appropriate because someone may not need that because that tip that applies to said pillar is fine and they're not going to feel any different. So in super brief, the 10 pillars are one, brain and hormone. They all begin with Bs brain and hormones, two is bowel and digestion, three is body and genetics, four is burst exercise and movement, five is biotoxins and inflammation, six is bionutrients and nutrition, seven is breakfast and routines, eight is bothers or stressors that we talked about with trauma before, pillar number nine is bugs and hidden infections, and pillar number 10 is bedtime and sleep. So brain, bowel, body, burst, biotoxins, bionutrients, breakfast, bothers, bugs, bedtime. And it's all there in the ebook as a nice infographic. And when you learn those 10 categories, then you can actually assess where am I imbalanced? Where have I put too much emphasis on one and not enough emphasis on the other? And in that ebook, I give very practical recommendations that are the most commonly helpful uh, across working with myself and all my clients over these years for each pillar. And if people are wanting really specific, just kind of the most important things that people can do, first and foremost is get your sleep handled. I was a severe insomniac for over 12 years to the point where it stunted my growth. I'm not kidding about that. Based on my hand size, the foot be at least four inches taller. And the most between, you know, when you're a child and I had severe insomnia from age six to 18, get your sleep addressed. Second thing was look at your routines, morning and evening routines, because if the book of your day are relaxing, nourishing, and starting, then the rest of your day 
part of your day during the day will be much better and more higher resilience, more productive and happier. And then also your sleep will be better. The other thing I would recommend people look at, which is one of the most neglected issues, is your is your digestion and your pooping specifically. So I was severely constipated for three to five years. Uh, I couldn't go for ex- except once every three to five days. And I was told by my pediatrician and my two medical doctor parents that that was normal. Now, just to if people are saying, well, why is that a big deal? I'll just make a real fine point on it. Ask literally any parent from anywhere in the world at any time in all of human history ever if they're baby to two year, two or three year old is misbehaving. What is literally the first thing every parent through all of human history has ever thought? Have they pooped yet? Yes. So right. True. Like, like literally everyone. So, so it's, but somehow when we get to adults, that awareness is kind of left. I don't know. I absolutely encourage people to take their bowel habits very, very seriously. And if I were to leave with one more practical thing is for some people, Exercise is a trigger word. And I would encourage people to replace the word exercise with movement. That is so much, I mean, you can just, it's just such a more open ended, you know, non threatening term. And if I were to add one more, which arguably is possibly the, one of the most important, is be honest with yourself about the unresolved stresses and traumas and people in your life and do what you can to make peace with that, especially within yourself. Now, I'm a huge fan of the work of Byron Katie. If anyone hasn't heard of her, it's just thework.com. I think it is one of the single greatest gifts to healing human suffering that is on the planet today. And with she, her work was instrumental in me, me getting my mother back and me identifying and questioning the stressful thoughts I had about the many formative experiences I had growing up with her. And there's a quote by her, which I just love. It says, peace doesn't require two people. It requires only one. It has to be you. The problem begins and ends there. And she's dead right. Because when I made the decision and committed to making peace about her within myself, the entire dynamic changed on its own. Like I changed and the dynamic with her changed as a result of that. And now we're really close friends. And this recommendation is possibly for some people the hardest to implement. I'm not saying it's going to be fast. It's called the work of Byron Katie. It's not called the easy. It's not called the quick. And it's certainly not called the comfortable, right? It's called the work. So... (laughs) If people are really, really interested in the work, lots of great resources online. I also created one of the first, if not the first, complete soup to nuts online course of how to learn the work of Byron Katie. It's also available on my website. Her work changed my life so much that I was like, I need to find a way to scale this beyond just especially now because it's hard for people to fly to online courses, uh, fly to live courses there's now a way to learn everything online. And like, even if people didn't do my course, just like get her books, listen to her podcast, go on a YouTube, download the worksheets. But if you want a structured approach, that's available too. She's got an app. I also love how freely available she makes her content. And it's just, I can't say 
say enough about it. I love that you shared that quote. And to me, I always think when I hear a quote that I like, where else does this apply? So it's important what you said that we've got to make emotional peace. So our emotions, if they are inflammatory and negative, actually mirror the inflammation going on in our body. And so when I do my gut rehab and detox, part of what I help women do is actually an emotional detox. And that means Mm -hmm. helping to detox these emotions. But also when you were talking about epigenetics, it really spoke to me of that. So peace in your body doesn't require necessarily that your genetics cooperate. It just requires that you take the steps to turn those genes on or off. So the problem begins and ends there. So to me, I love that quote because it speaks of our relationships, but it also speaks of our relationship with our body. And with that, Dr. Sam Shea, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for this wonderful wisdom and insight into the deeper functionings of our bodies at midlife. It's way more complicated than we were ever taught. And thank goodness there are people like you to help guide us. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. We will have the links to the two ebooks that Dr. Shea shared with you today in the show notes. And we'll also get the link and put that in the show notes for the program that he talked about with Byron Katie. Her work is amazing. She asked to have gentle inquiry of everything that you think and believe in life. Is that really true? Because a lot of what we believe to be true might not be. And we can actually free ourselves physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, when we start questioning the things that we believe. And when we start looking at our genetics, which as you heard Dr. Shea share, really is unique for each one of us and can make the difference between successful weight loss or lasting difficulties with weight loss. So diving deep into this issue is something that you'll certainly want to do. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media and send it to someone who would benefit from it. If you love the show and really want to support it, please go to iTunes, write a review and subscribe. This helps other women find us so that they too can heal and enjoy brilliant health. I've got a gift for you. If you take a screenshot of your review, Post it on your social media and tag me. I'll send you a special surprise right to your inbox. Thank you so much for joining me. And remember, healing and getting optimally healthy isn't magic, it's science.